Hello, everyone. Uh, I'm sitting in my office getting ready to publish my interview with Tina Beliveau. The reason I'm happy to share this episode is that when I asked Tina to come on the show, I said, you know, instead of you coming on the show and telling us how awesome you are, by the way, she's awesome, why don't you come share the mistakes that you've made along the way that made you a better leader? And because Tina is a true leader and wants to be transparent, she shared some of the biggest mistakes she's made and what she learned from them, and it's super inspiring to have a leader of that caliber on the show. It's also appropriate that we're sharing this show in the midst of the pandemic. Things are looking bleak for a lot of people, but this is the time that we learn who we are. This is the time we learn we can overcome anything. This is the time we learn what's most important to us. So get ready for a great show. Oh yeah, I've got a new project that I'm starting. It's called Mindset Boosters. It's an app that lets you decide how you feel and act in any situation. It uses applied neuroscience and neuro-linguistic programming in audio tracks that teaches you step-by-step how to switch on awesomeness, how to let go of past failures. Before we get started on the episode, we had a little bit of technical difficulty, so you're going to hear Tina's voice is going to be amazing. My voice is going to be slightly lower volume. That's the way it should be, right? The guest should be the star of the show and get ready for a great episode. Are you ready to become awesomer? Hello everyone, this is Umar Hamid, your host, and welcome to the No Limit Selling Podcast, where industry leaders share their tips, strategies, and advice on how to make you better, stronger, faster. Get ready for another episode. everyone. Today I have the privilege of having my friend Tina Beliveau here with me today. We're in this like uh, post-apocalyptic uh, place and so happy to be here. It's very fitting for the year we're having so it's great. It <laughs> Glad and to be here. Is it four days away from the election or five days away? Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. Yeah, four days. Four days away. Three days if you don't count the actual election day. Right. <laughs> but who's counting? And being a good host, the camera's pointed at you, and I get like a side profile, oh, okay. like I'm in a coin or something. Yeah, well, you know. Tina, the reason I was interested in sitting down with you today was this. It's like, who would be brave enough to do this? Because often on podcasts, it's like, hi, how are you? I am an awesome person. I've done these awesome things. And it's everyone goes, ooh, isn't that nice? Yep. But it would take somebody really strong to come on the air and talk about how you effed up a lot of things because leadership is tough, right? It is really tough. It's been the toughest part of my professional journey, no question. And so what I'd like for you to do is, you know, off the top of your head, think about some of the areas where you screwed up and then we'll kind of chat about those and we'll go down the list. And just so we know beforehand, you're freaking awesome and you do amazing <laughs> things. And uh, thanks for being vulnerable and transparent today. Oh, yeah. Thanks for that. So I had a, you know, a minute to think before we started talking about some of my best I mistakes. this on you, right? Yeah, it was great. And then I was like, well, let me think about this. And, you know, there's a lot. There's a lot that I've learned. Um, I've... So I'm 35 now and I started hiring people when I was like somewhere, I don't know, between like 23 and 24. Mm -hmm. So learned a lot through trial by fire. Yes. I'm in the real estate industry. So most of my hiring has been in the space of running a real estate team and then a real estate brokerage for about three years. 
And yeah, so where do you want to start? Off the top of your head, what's uh, one of the mistakes you made? What you learned from? Okay, well, the first thing that comes to mind, actually, whenever I think about this, it, it tends to all tie back to mindset, yes. which has been the thread through all of the mistakes that I could tell you about. But and I feel all like the successes, right? Oh, and the it's successes. So critical. Yeah, it's two sides of the same coin. Um, like early mindset challenges that. I had and then that I sometimes see other well see other people have a lot of the time are just those things we tell ourselves about leading or maybe even making that first hire yes in the very beginning my first hire was an intern so I was I hired somebody from Towson University where I went and I think a lot of people forget that there are even options out there that fit their budget even if their budget is zero yes and then um, you know, one of the awkward things when I began hiring was how young I was. And I remember interviewing people older than you that were much older than me. I mean, you know, like they were in their 40s, which can seem like a really big age difference depending on the relative maturity of the two people in the mix. So pause right there just for a moment. Just think of that dynamic. So you're there thinking about how young you are. Yeah. And the person on the other side might be thinking, who is this young punk? Or might be thinking, oh my God. How cool. How, how cool or how smart. Yeah. I hope I'm good enough to work with this person. And we think the worst of ourselves in terms of they must be thinking I'm less than when they could <laughs> be thinking you're awesome. Yeah. But I distinctly remember somebody being like, you're so young. And me just being like, yeah. Like <laughs> yeah. to some degree, it's just kind of embracing it. But I still felt that like extreme awkwardness at times and, and or even I, seeing somebody and being like, oh, gosh. And if I can just point out here for the listeners, you can't see this. <laughs> but you're blushing right now. Of just course I am. Just going back to that thing and just re-experiencing is what we do as humans. We relive. Yeah. That I can see you doing that in the interview, that exact response coming up. Totally. Yeah. To this day, I can think about those things. Um, I, I rem Another funny one is I remember, like, I think my, f my first like part-time admin position, I was offering $15 an hour. It might have been $20. Um, either way, I remember, like, I, at the time, maybe I wasn't putting the pay in the ad. You know, there's different philosophies right. with that of whether you advertise. And I just remember somebody being like, what? Like, I got to go. And I was like mortified because they just, they weren't in my budget. And I think that's just confusing on many levels. Oh, yeah. and I've hired a lot over the years and sometimes market, you know, right away. But it's just funny, like being super fresh and new to all those conversations. And I don't know, I just kind of walked through it and managed it the best I can or could rather but the other thing i was thinking about and i kind of laughed about this too before we started recording is i i finally made a full-time hire and like so i had like some part-time people like in the beginning right i remember the structure i did was i had somebody come monday through friday from like 9 a.m to 12. so it was like 15 hours a week it was manageable for me it was manageable for them and then i made my first full-time hire and i i've blocked out what actually happened. Either she came on the first day and never came back or she never showed up. And that was my first hire. I was like all excited. And then I, it just was a complete flop and I had to start completely over completely. Yeah. Like that and what stuff did happened. to your psyche in terms of like, did you think it was you? Did you think it was them? Uh, so I tend to always think that it's me mm -hmm. first and like, what did I do? What could I have done differently? And that's like a, a script that I've worked a lot more recently to like rid myself of um but in a situation like that it's like you know who accepts a job and then flakes like immediately like that had nothing to do with me well i got a job <laughs> in a popsicle factory seriously 
yeah, I was okay. like a teenager, you know, <laughs> high school teenager. It was a summer job, and it turned out to be I can eat them; they're delicious. But something about the powder in the mix, I was actually allergic to it. And so after two hours, I got so sick I had to leave. And they uh, never sent me my two-hour paycheck. I was just like, get the hell out of here. <laughs> yeah, never well, come back. I think you cost them more yeah. than whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it happens. So I think we all have those stories we tell ourselves. So in the beginning for me, it was like, I'm too young, or I can't afford this, I can't afford them. You know, I, I mean, that's just like a short sampling of, of mindset challenges. Absolutely. And I think there's some, you know, wisdom to just, you know, people say fake it till you make it, walk through it, find a mentor, a sounding board, somebody who mm-hmm. can you know, just kind of be a support person while we like grapple through that like uncertainty. Yeah. And what's kind of cool about this podcast, this episode is going to be, well, I thought I was screwed up, but that Tina. Oh yeah. Let me tell you. It, oh, we're just getting started. Yeah. <laughs> These are Let's the, go to the, next the mistakes get juicier. Um, okay. So another really big theme early on in my hiring journey before I got any training on not even leadership, but just like, I guess, management was that I often had no clarity on exactly what I wanted somebody to do in their job, like day to day. Like I hadn't defined success. And I think, I mean, so a lot of the time, these were like administrative type positions that I'm talking about, where it's kind of a weird thing with any business that's like growing and has a lot going on, if you're defining success, which I think just unconsciously I did this, I was like, you do everything pretty much with like 95% accuracy and you check off everything on the list. Yes. And, and also like prioritize well, etc. And I think I did not get that. Like when you're growing a business, there is going to be mess that just falls on the floor mm-hmm. And there needs to be alignment between you and the other person on what actually defines success. What drives revenue for the company? What drives customer service, which leads to happy customers and retention? I think there's like a couple different things, those like hard measurables and also those soft measurables. But I think in the beginning, I wanted somebody to do everything like really, really well. Um, Not quite perfect, but close to it. And I just... So I rode a wave of my emotions of how I felt they were doing than anything that we could kind of like point back to as some key performance indicators. Yeah, and so let's kind of step back a little bit. And I'm just kind of guessing here. Yeah. But a lot of people tend to, well, if I was doing that job, this is what would be important to me. And and we kind of map kind of what's happening internally for us on mere mortals that are not us. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And I think it's like, in that beginning, you know, three to six month phase, you need to have so much communication, a feedback loop. And again, like with growing businesses, communication about priorities that are shifting and changing, which I think is like a huge challenge. And how do you figure that out? You have to talk about it a lot. It's English. You got to have priorities. But it's like, (laughs) what does it really mean? And you can't do that unless you have real life experiences. Like we got this important thing and this important thing and they don't know. And then when you go, oh, this is how you gauge it in this situation. All that valuable learning only happens if there's communications. Yeah, and I think there's kind of a couple pieces with that. You know, one of them is like people might hate hearing this, but like you have to sometimes let somebody fall on the floor to learn a priority. Oh, like yeah. if they never have that negative stimulus of like doing it in the right order, like 
they might not get it. So we have to leave room for people to make mistakes, hopefully not ones that end your business, but there might be like a juicy mistake in there that like really teaches somebody something. And, and that's okay. As long as the communication and the relationship is there and there's like, you know, some level of training plan around that. So here's a question for you. So what you said is absolutely true. I suspect in Baltimore, let's say uh, today, 10 people had that conversation. Oh yeah. It's okay to make mistakes. But how many of those 10 people do you think will actually be there to support them when that happens? I think, wow. Yeah, well, and I think it's a weird thing too because you know, a lot of the time, so I'm using this like administrative example, mm-hmm. but I think it's really relevant in that I am more this like direct driver. Oh, actually, this reminds me of a really good story. Mm -hmm. So I had somebody who worked for me and she made a mistake and she had her own mental script about mistakes. Yes. And she was a much less direct personality and she was terrified of me and she was like new in the job. And like, so our personality and behavioral styles were really different. And she basically messed something up, like did something pretty dumb and like sent this email to a bunch of people who shouldn't have gotten it. And like, she pretended it didn't like, she denied that it happened. (laughs) And you know, like we could talk all about that. But I think like the reality is like at the time I didn't have the leadership experience to have like complete compassion of like, she is so afraid she can't even own it. And like, if I look at that person, like she is very talented and has done great. Like that was not a reflection of her character. Like that was an isolated piece of what she was doing overall. But at the time, like, I made it mean a lot, if that makes sense. Yeah, and it comes naturally because a lot of times that's what we're trained. We don't really get leadership training, but that's the kind of stuff is like, you will do what I tell you, you'll do it the way I tell you. (laughs) And I think people have a weird relationship with mistakes, Mm -hmm. with, uh, you know, what other people think of them. And it's kind of a quagmire. And I think like if you don't have a really great relationship and a lot of trust with somebody, it's hard to like walk through that nitty gritty. And I didn't have the skills then to be very elegant about it. I mean, we kept working together and it was fine, but I remember just being kind of paranoid. It was just the first time someone had kind of like embarrassed me on behalf of my Mm -hmm. business. And and now I know that like that's just going to keep happening. Unless I want to do everything myself until I'm dead and never have anyone work with me. Yeah. or And that uh, doesn't work for me, at least. Or be frustrated with everybody around you. Yeah, yeah. that Like, I just had to give that up. Somebody was talking about that. She called it, like, the bee sting when, like, something happens in your mm-hmm. business and it just hurts. And you're like, oh, God, like, I'm mad. I'm embarrassed. I'm this. I'm that. And I was like, I don't know. I just got stung so many times. Like, I don't feel it anymore. I mean, I feel certain things, yes. but I got over the, like, baby beastings. <laughs> so I will tell you my beasting story. It was uh, the end of the season. We're in Berkeley, California. That's where we lived. And a bee had gotten into our house, and it was on the carpet. And I stepped on it, and before it passed, it, it stung me pretty badly on my foot. And my sister-in-law was there, and she's a healer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she goes, oh, that hurts a lot. She says, you know, urine, uric acid will stop it from hurting. And she convinced me to go in the bathroom and pee on my foot. And when I came back out, my wife and her are rolling around the floor laughing no. that they snookered me into doing something so dumb. But anyway. 
well, that's what a bee sting will do to you, right? Will, yeah, there, will. there are times where we're out of our minds yeah. and do things that are maybe a little illogical because we're so caught up in like the temporary pain of, you know, whatever it is. This is a great example of that. <laughs> so what's next on the list? Okay. So yeah, it's just to kind of like recap what I said. I think it's like when you don't know what you want from someone, it's easy to measure on your, like how they're doing on your own emotional roller coaster. And, and then that can just be, it's like living in a fun house. Yeah, Nobody's happy. Them, they're like, I have no idea what the goalpost is. Yes. And it's just a mess yes. all over. Yeah. And I think I was even at times afraid to define the goalpost because then it's like other mindset stuff. Who am I to hold them accountable? Who am I to say that they need to do this? Maybe they can only do that. So I, I think, again, that's where all of that can kind of unfold. So that I think about that as like chapter one, like really early leadership. Then we get into like some of my juicier mistakes. Um <laughs> Where I think, um, so there was like a, a long phase in my career, like a 10 year run where I was like all about growth in mm-hmm. every way possible. I wanted to grow my business by a significant percentage every year. Right. I wanted to keep achieving. I didn't want to move backwards. And I, it was really fun. It was awesome. I accomplished like some really huge things in partnership with the people that I worked with. But the reality is if you're going to grow and like go hard to have year over year growth and keep adding people to your business, there are going to be times where people reach their comfort zone mm-hmm. where and it's funny because I've been around a lot of different thought leaders who kind of poo-poo this concept, and now I just feel so differently about it. So there's this, I think, thing that happens where people cap out, where they're now in the position that is right for them, or they don't want to work more hours, or they don't want to be the agent that sells 80 houses a year. They, they're cool being the 40 house a year agent. Yeah. And I, I have to say, I mean, I, I take ownership for this and I also surrounded myself with people that sort of had this like nasty attitude of like, if they don't keep growing, like you need to move on and find people who are more motivated and people more like you mm-hmm. sort of this like narcissistic mindset. So, and obviously I was kind of attracted to that mindset cause I listened to it and mm-hmm. I, I took it on as my own to some degree. And I think that, so that was a huge mistake is that like when people hit their whatever, I don't even know exactly what to call it. Cause I don't like comfort zone, maybe call yeah, it sweet or their sweet spot. Yeah. Like I'm really good at this. I like this. I like what I make. I like the hours I, you know, I'm passionate. I'm talent. I'm really naturally good at this. Why do I need to go do the hard thing? It's sort of like promoting a salesperson into a management role when that doesn't really make them happy. Yeah. That's like a classic mistake that I've definitely made. And other people I, I know make a lot. So I think I didn't create paths for people to stay in their sweet spot. I wasn't seeing it the right way. And, um, and yeah, and like I missed out on retaining some talented people because I was trying to like move them to the next level so that I could move to the next level. It's very yeah. selfish. What's kind of interesting about that is it's almost like we find these junior people, mm-hmm. we groom them, they get into their groove, and then at that point it's like, oh, I don't need you anymore. I used you, I abused you, and now you're out of here. And it may not be the intent, but that's what it probably feels like. It's mm-hmm. like oh my God, now I'm not useful anymore. And there's no way to kind of, the first thing we started off, you were talking about uh, compassion mm-hmm. for people. And that's such a critical element of leadership. Yes, it is. And I think like one thing I've learned about myself is I am deeply compassionate when I slow down to actually feel my feelings and be in touch with how other people feel. 
and the speed at which I have moved or even the just the drive that's there that a lot of the time it's like fear-based like a lot of my drive is like I have to be last year or I suck I have to be last year or I'm not reaching my potential or I'm letting people down like well all of that so my point is like when I'm caught up in those kind of loops it's hard to be really present to like the real deal yeah. of like how I feel and how someone else is doing. So it's sort of this, you know, just general concept, like, oh, you need to make time for the people that you lead. But I think like what's underneath that is like, for me, it's like leaving emotional space to notice and be present to everything that's going on in the business. I was at the ship team yesterday. Mm-hmm. And so I have to kick off their morning kind of power up. Yep. And the one yesterday was uh, like three critical areas. One was uh, procrastination. Second one was uh, perfectionism, and third one was presence. And the reason I bring it up is that perfectionism is another form of procrastination. Oh, yeah. And uh, relating back to what you said is sometimes we get so hopped up on we got to grow faster, bigger. It's a way of avoiding something really important, which is being a good leader, you know, really fortifying what you've built. And that stuff's hard. It's like not the sexy stuff. Yeah, I actually like I wrote a little blog post about this topic recently for a local real estate publication, Baltimore Real Producers. And it's sort of that like that growth mindset is such a beautiful thing, but then it can get you into trouble for all the reasons that you just said. And I think like another piece of it isn't even avoiding something like I guess it's avoiding something in a way. But what I think about is like I look back at some of those times where I was just killing it like. I was in the zone and I was making a difference and the people who worked for me were in the zone and there were so many times where I just couldn't feel it. Like I couldn't take it in and be like, look at what a good job I'm doing. Yeah. Look at X, Y, Z. I could give so many examples. It was like, I mean, I don't even think it was on my radar. Like once in a while it would be like, we need to celebrate. Like, so I would do little things or big things. I mean, there were a lot of like grand gestures. Like one mm-hmm. time we like, I took everyone on a shopping spree and gave them all a bunch of cash to buy whatever they wanted. Like, like I appreciated what they were all doing, but like, I'm talking about on that like really deep level yeah, where there course. was a part of me that was never like, look at this, this is enough. This is amazing. It was just always the striving. And I've met people that are very accomplished and they go, you know, I've never appreciated my accomplishments because I was so busy trying to get the next and I didn't even know why I was doing it. it well, that's just... me. That's been 2020 for me. Like looking back on the couple chapter, like the two big accomplishment chapters of my career were when I had my first big growth influx with my team. And then when I was growing the real estate brokerage that I co-owned and, and helped to grow. And... Um, I look back now and it's been uncomfortable, but also amazing because the uncomfortable part is my mind is like, oh, you're done now. Like you're not important anymore. You're not a leader to 500 people. Like you're a nobody. Like it's really effed up. Um, What my mind will tell me if I feel like I'm not. Yeah, whatever. Because you're talking to everybody else has, has that <laughs> yeah, like, voice. Like my mind will be like, "You're nobody now. Like, who even are you?" So, um, I'll reveal mine. Oh. <laughs> I'm too good looking. People want. <laughs> I wish she was the one. I really do wish she was the one. Yes. Okay. So you just took me off track. That I'm was so. Sorry. No, that was so freaking awesome. Um. So okay. So there's like that's been the negative 
aspect I've kind of grappled with this year of like having this like space it's like the great in between of like I'm on my way to my next chapter and I'm you know worried about is it going to be as good as the last two or whatever but I've also had the, the moments where I look back and I'm like look at that like I helped build the number one real estate office in Maryland. Like I did that. I did it with other people. It's not about me yeah. taking 100% credit, but like I did that. Mm -hmm. And at one point, my team sold 177 homes in one year. Like you know, it's just, I don't so I don't know if what I'm saying is coming across, but I've had those moments of reflection and that slowing down, being present, and and it's been really valuable because if I just kept going, like I maybe would never have had the wake up call that I've had this year. Or a heart attack or oh, a, yeah, or God knows marriage what. or yeah. all kinds of stuff. Yeah, yeah, like my health, like my health was suffering so much with the way that I was working. We were talking before we turned on, you know, started recording this thing about how like I used to run my schedule, like I had everything scheduled mm -hmm. and that was like how I measured success. And it wasn't, like I didn't leave time to prepare or decompress from anything yeah. i just went from one to the next and one to the next so this has been the like a full year of preparation and, and decompressing it's coming up on a year since i stepped out of that leadership role mm -hmm. in like a week and i'm like wow. i don't even know who i am anymore but i've become a completely different person, person to some yeah, degree definitely. yeah you know creating paths for people to stay in the business when it's still growing and just kind of the mindset of yeah. passion and all of that and i think like there's a thread in that that i wanted to pick back up with of you know in my experience, like being really growth focused and in the hustle and bustle, I didn't fully appreciate how hard people work when you're in a business that has any sort of like a startup energy or situation. Right. Like, like I knew it, but it, it was sort of like when it's the water you're swimming in all day, every day, you it's eventually, you know, I just got used to it. I took it for granted. I mean, I think there's a lot of like small business stuff that people put up with that it looks fun on like Instagram in like a quick little oh, yeah. snippet. But the reality is like, you know, people are like, oh, I love wearing many hats. But the reality is like wearing many hats is exhausting sometimes, you it know, is. like you're, I, I mean, I even remember like being frustrated that like nobody in the office like would ever take out the trash like it would just sort of like explode like people didn't always like care for the physical environment of the office but it's just like people were doing so much like i don't even know if what i said just made sense but like when you're in a small business environment everybody has to pitch in and it's not like a bureaucracy where if you're missing for a week for a vacation where like your job is just kind of on hold Right? Like right. stuff needs to get done. So there's just a lot of pressure is I think what I'm trying to say. Um, there's a lot that is riding on every person to be productive. And I just, again, it's the water that's waters that I swam in a lot of the time. And you, I didn't always have the compassion and the realization of the impact that that had on people. Definitely, because there are jobs you can go into in corporate America where it's like uh, smooth sailing compared to that. It's just like, sure, yeah. here, do that. If you do one extra thing, you're a hero. But when you're in a startup mode, it's not for everybody. Yeah. And there, so, yeah, there's just not always enough people to cover. So it, it's just kind of that like that pressure cooker. So I think, you know, um, logically, I totally got what people were doing for the most part. But then I also think that there's a lot that people do that you can't see. And, and, you know, once in a while you might have a rare team member who's maybe like a really heavy communicator that like reports back right. like, oh, I did this and I did that. And like, I put that together. Da, 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 da. A lot of people aren't like that. 
And there's a lot that they're doing that just goes unmentioned. Yeah, and let's uh, deconstruct that. Yeah. Uh, our mothers told us not to brag. Yeah. And so some people don't <laughs> say it because oh, they'll think I'm bragging or you think um, special. And on the other side, it's from the Talmud. It's like we do not see the universe as it is. We see it as we are. Mm. And it's like, well, this is the way I'd do the job. I'd be like wearing 12 hats and not complaining. And that's what's expected. And that's what I assume other people want to do as well. And that all comes from leadership and communications and compassion. But you can't get there till you screw things up along the way and you come by it honestly. Yeah, so true. And I think I think what you said about people aren't naturally the types to brag and tout their accomplishments, especially the kind of people that are drawn to working in a team. Right. I, you know, I think the person who likes to brag and tout it all is somebody like me. So I'm speaking maybe a little bit specific to the real estate context, but you've got that like team owner, rainmaker, hate that word sometimes, yeah. but that's like that personality and the rest of the team members aren't like that. They're, they're more there to be part of something bigger than themselves. They're helpers. They're they've got like a servant's heart, servant's mentality. So um, so yeah, there's a lot that goes unnoticed, unacknowledged, unappreciated a and lot so, of the time. And so you're a prima donna by nature. I mean, uh, it's just my wiring. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> but there's other real leaders out there that think it's expected of them to be that person and be that larger than life, and you do it naturally, authentically. And they have to pretend to be the leader everyone thinks they should be. And there's no rules for that. But they get trapped in the same trap as the worker bees underneath them. Yeah, it's probably just kind of the reverse of that. And I think, you know, that's not necessary. You know, being a you know strong personality is, you know, people... Like, if I think about the feedback that I've gotten from people over the years, there are times where um, they were just intimidated by my personality or my accomplishments like people we're all comparing ourselves to each other all yeah. the time so you know like like I had kind of referenced before I used to run my schedule like really tight with a lot packed into every day so like I was pumping out an insane amount of productivity all day every day seven days a week into the night for a really long time and you know people would look at that and compare themselves and feel inadequate or like I like people would literally be like I can't keep up with you Right. And in my mind, I would be like, well, why not? But it was another point that I wanted to make that I think connects to that is I never really fully got for a long time that people will never be quite as invested as me in my business as I am. And I think there's sort of this, I don't even know, I, I think it's common in like my millennial age bracket where mm -hmm. like, everybody wants to be really connected to their work and have a great culture and have so much passion yeah. and all of that is beautiful and it's very aspirational and at the same time i think it can create this idea that like as a leader if i haven't got everyone like bought in like so deeply that like i've failed or why aren't they showing up that way and I think like everything in life and with people, there's a little bit of a paradox there. Like you want buy-in, you want good culture. But I also think this like idealistic vision that like everybody should just be in the trenches and willing to do whatever it takes, like almost right. like we're going to war mentality. Like that's crazy. It's not sustainable. So the first part of the sentence says that long kind of little <laughs> statement. thing. Statement. <laughs> when you were talking about, you know, like getting the word wrong, but it was like, you know, da -da -da, and everybody... When you said that word, listen back to the recording, your voice quavers there. Yeah. Because you're accessing back to that time in your life where it was overwhelming. And uh, so we carry that baggage around with us. 
Yeah. And the question is, what do we do with it? Do we let it bury us or do we learn from it and become better leaders? And of course, you and I are both on the team of let's learn from it and move forward. Yeah. And I think like a big part of, I've always been someone who's more apt to share than not share, maybe right. even overshare. But um, as like an achiever personality, I'm less wired to share all of the mistakes. So for me, like being on a podcast with this topic is is growth. So like I think that that baggage and those old things that like I'm not proud of and I wish they hadn't happened and I wish I'd done it better, blah, blah, blah. Like the only way that I really release myself from it is by talking about it and it not being a secret at all. Absolutely. And I think the one thing I'd add to it for people listening is just ask this one simple question. What was the universe trying to teach me in that situation? And what can I learn from that situation? And once you get that lesson, you can move on and you're not destined to repeat it. It's when you don't learn the lesson and it's like, oh, it was a horrible thing. That'll never happen again. But if you didn't learn the lesson, I guarantee 100% the universe will conspire to let you relive it, but in a more intense way. I was going to say, it'll come back stronger. Oh, yeah, stronger. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I can think of a couple patterns like that. Yeah, yeah. You know, that kind of ties to the next mistake of not fully appreciating the cost of turnover. Yeah. And this might be a little bit unique to my industry and some of the culture from like my former company that I surrounded myself Mm -hmm. with. And I kind of referenced this before, I think in part one, that there was sort of this like take no prisoners, no holds barred kind of leadership mentality that was championed of like, keep moving forward, keep growing. And if people can't keep up with you, that's fine. Just replace them. Ha ha ha, like just replace them. And I think like that is a fallacy. Like the cost of turnover is really high. And it's funny because that same company would also do this like cost of turnover exercise where we would kind of quantify it. But like the reality is, I think about, you know, when someone's been in your organization Mm -hmm. for a year or more and they were a performer, they are bringing a lot to the table, especially with these like small businesses like that I'm kind of using as an example. They tend to be a significant percentage of the company's production, whether that's operational production sales or something else. And they have a lot of uh, what do you even call it? Like subject matter knowledge, company, knowledge, yeah, institutional stuff. knowledge that, yeah, that, um, you know, unless you're psycho, like no small business really has any of that, that well documented. Yeah. And I say psycho in a complimentary and way. Even in large <laughs> companies, they fail to do that. Yeah. So it's I, like, how do we do that? I don't know. Bill used to do it somehow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we fired him. Hopefully you'll figure it out a year from now yeah. and like, you won't write it down either, but yeah, you know what I mean? Like that's, how it is. So I think, you know, that is a huge thing. And so it's like, I always cognitively understood that turnover isn't helpful. And obviously, you know, your good people stay and all of that. And, and, you know, there's a lot of reasons that people move on, but I think the reality is that, you know, this idea of like, Oh, a really highly productive salesperson has moved on. I'll just replace them and, and keep rolling. And that's fundamentally mostly true, I guess. Um, but the reality is there's a big slowdown if you don't have someone not just on the bench, but already on the team ready yeah. to like step right into that. So there's there's a lot to replace there. So outside of real estate, if it was like another industry where you've got a salesperson that's got a territory, mm-hmm. they say it costs 250% of their annual salary to replace them because even if you get a seasoned salesperson coming in in a new territory to learn your company's processes the customers 
plus hiring that person. And if it's just an average person, they say about 100% of their annual salary, because you're taking a senior VP off their task to interview a bunch of people, to maybe fill something. So yeah, yeah, well, it's a double expensive. cost, right? Yeah, it's like the loss of the production and and the onboarding, but then also the loss of the time of the person who should be doing something yeah. else. Like their time is literally reallocated. And then the other thing, just to add to it, uh, I know we want to make this quick, but we're not. <laughs> is your previous company will not be named, mm -hmm. but that's a typical kind of example where there's values written on the wall, mm -hmm. like where you stand for A, B, C, D, but the reality is B is only to be valued unless it costs us money. So yeah. you're talking about we value people and people are everything, but you know, hey, if they're not working out, get rid of them, we'll get a new one. They can't yeah. grow fast enough. Yep. And so the real colors come out of who we are. Yeah, and you know, I've been, so now, I've, and I think that's part of why like this hit home so deeply with me. Like I've been that highly productive performer, a champion, an advocate, someone who poured my the soul. Trials. I, yeah, and I poured so much in. And then when I, how do I even say this? I was on the other end of that bargain for the first time. Yeah. I had been the leader who didn't fully appreciate. And then I had that experience. And then also just like kind of that like reality check of like, I am nowhere near as important as I thought I was. Like, yeah. whoa, okay. What do I do with that? And like, and who am I without that platform? But coming back to that, like, I think that, yeah, like it's really easy to say that you value culture and doing the right thing. And then the reality is that like business problems create a lot of gray area with that and people deal with those things differently. And I've taken those lessons in. So before we go to the next one, I will just, uh, I can't help myself. I have to tell you this quote. I think it was <laughs> Ditka, one of the football players, who was talking about how unconscionable it is to go after another player's wife or girlfriend. Mm -hmm. Well, unless she's really cute or something. <laughs> That's an example. Yeah, enter the, enter yes. the gray area, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We'll leave that there. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so I, I thought of a couple other mistakes that I'll share before this. So next one um, is when you're the boss, not everybody loves you, which I know might sound really obvious yes but when it's actually happening to you and you are the boss and mm -hmm. you're the one where um there's even this concept i think it's a john maxwell thing of like there's different levels of leadership but the mm -hmm. first one is positional that it simply means like you're the boss and they're not because that's like the positions that you hold in the company yes. and I, this happened it well, kind of happened at the same time with both my my real estate team and the brokerage but it was sort of like when i became a manager in the brokerage it was like suddenly i was everyone's mom right you know, like i was not like one of the gang anymore yep. and that was just like an adjustment and, um, and maybe not mom maybe <laughs> stepmom to some it's yeah. Like, oh yeah totally yeah. yeah there were definitely some people that were like who is this person i really like this other person i don't like her personality she's annoying she walks too fast down the hallway she doesn't say hi to me she forgot my name again like i could go on and on with like all the ways that like i don't resonate with people at times but um yeah but it was like i was not one of the gang i wasn't in if that right. makes sense i was out i was on the outside mm -hmm. Um, and maybe up a layer if you're looking at like positions as a ladder, but um, you know, it's just, it's a weird place to be. It's lonely. And <clears throat> I think the other thing as a leader is we're always trying to create impact and engage people. And I think just that like vulnerable experimentation of like, let's get this together. Let's do this mm. initiative. And like, sometimes it's just like crickets. 
Like I tried so many different things and I'm grateful for it because again, like we talked about the bee stings on part one of this. Like that was like a bee sting of like planning something and then people being like, that sucks. Like, yeah, I'm not even responding to that post that she made. And like, I just don't care anymore. But I had to be stung so many times of like attempting to engage and and be a resource for people. And, and again, like I think it was kind of a good training ground when I was running the brokerage because I was not anyone's boss. You know, realtors are all 1099 right. contractors. They don't owe me anything. So it's finding a way to have influence when I didn't actually have... And it goes back to that. You need to slow down. You need to connect. You need to be compassionate. Yeah. And if you do that, you've got your finger on the pulse. And if you're just in leadership mode, it's like, oh, this is this is what I think. Mm-hmm. And this would be right for them. And sometimes you need to do that, but you need to be connected. If you're not connected with the people you're leading, because a lot of times it's about respect. And we want our people that we're leading to respect us, but it starts with us respecting them. Yeah. That comes from listening and slowing down. Yeah. And, you know, there's an intrinsic challenge in the position that I held. I had a huge quota. Yes. I had to meet with 10 new people that I had never met with before every single week. And if I went on vacation, I had to like gotcha. catch up. So, you know, I take ownership for the fact that I didn't always connect with people the way I wanted. And, and that was also something that was really unsustainable about the role I was in, because to meet 10 new people a week, you have to prospect and follow up for hours yes. every day. Especially when you've kind of like run through everybody in Baltimore. 10 people means 100 active things to do to get to the 10. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, you know, I, you know, I look back at that model and first of all, I would never work that way again in a million years. I'm grateful for what I did. I love the lessons that I learned. There was also a lot of like getting over myself that I walked through being rejected sometimes kindly and sometimes not so kindly. (laughs) Um, so I take those lessons, but I guess my point is like when you're grinding like that it ties to what we've talked about it's hard to connect and come from a place of value and attraction which is what i'm obsessed with now and that's how i built my first business really successfully so to come full circle back to the mistake people aren't going to love you it can get lonely that's part of it and that's why you know it's so important to have a tribe of other people that are you know on the same journey so it may not be the people in your company it's other business owners peers mastermind groups whatever Um, And then just knowing that that's part of it. It's not like a personal failing. Like that's just a a dynamic of positional leadership. If you find the right group, uh, they're going to support you when you need support. Yeah. And they're going to say, you're being an idiot. And you can hear it when it's that other group to help you. Oh, and I'm so glad you said that you're being an idiot thing. Because that's the thing. When you're in a positional leadership situation with somebody and you're their boss and they're your employee and both of you know it, they're never going to say, you suck. Yeah. That idea sucks. Like they might once in a while, but I remember being like, why don't people tell me da 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 da. And, and I heard somebody saying it. I was actually, I put this like women's networking group together. We all got together like a month ago and she was saying, I just don't understand why they don't tell me. I was like, they're never going to tell you because they're in a different position. They're never going to feel, I mean, they might, like if you're an amazing culture and trust builder, maybe they will. But I think at the end of the day, there are people that are shy, that are less direct, and they're not going to tell you to your face how much all your ideas suck. The guy that started MGM, the movie studio, mm-hmm. uh, one of his quotes goes something like this. I don't want any yes men. I want people to tell me what's really going on, even if it gets them fired. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and people are like, and that's why I'm not going to say anything. Yeah. Okay, so last thing is I'll end on um, whatever. I don't even know what to call this note, but sometimes you just have to lose things to appreciate them. 
And, and we touched on this in, in part one, but I think, you know, this year 2020 for me has been the great in-between and, you know, looking back at the accomplishments that I've made yes. and, and having that space to say that was great. And if I hadn't, I wouldn't say that I lost the last thing that I did. I, I willingly walked away and said, I want to do something different. I want to, you know, change a whole bunch of things about what I'm doing and, and who I'm working with and all of that. But to look back and, and in some ways it's like, okay, like I didn't fully appreciate that, but I do now. And I guess that's just the beauty of growth, aging, yeah. perspective, whatever you want to call it. Um, but it's the silver lining, if nothing else, of looking back and saying, What's okay. What's the lesson? Yeah. It always comes back that, and it kind of reminds me of that song, you don't know what you got till it's gone. They paid paradise and they put up a parking lot. Yeah. <laughs> Tina, thank you so much for sitting down with me. Uh, I appreciate you and I appreciate your transparency and bravery. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. If you enjoyed this episode, please go to iTunes and leave a five-star rating. And if you're looking for more tools, go to my website at nolimitselling.com. I've got a free mind training course there that's going to teach you some insights from the world of neuro-linguistic programming, and that is the fastest way to get better results. 